Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I am Matt Levin, data journalist with Cal Matters. I'm Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. And uh, today on the podcast... Rent control. This is the most important thing now uh, that we'll be discussing between now and November. Um, it's going to be a ballot measure on repealing Costa Hawkins, the 1995 law that limits um, many forms, if not most forms of new rent control uh, statewide. And we recommend you listen to our previous podcast on this. We interviewed the main proponent of this initiative um, in a podcast last year. And then we also had a really good interview with um, legislator David Chu when they were trying to reach a compromise in the Capitol. And today we have a couple great guests um, to talk about this. Liam, who we got? Yeah, so we uh, we have Deborah Deborah Carlton, who is a a representative from the California Apartment Association, which is going to be the primary opponent uh, of this uh, rent control measure in November. And then Amy Schur, who is the co-executive director of Alliance for California, Alliance of California for Community Empowerment, which is uh, prepositions always trip you. Yeah. I know, I know. Ace, they go by Ace. Yeah, uh, and and they're uh, one so of reason the, they go by Ace. One of the primary supporters and and close listeners of the podcast may recall that we had a tenant uh, who worked works for Ace uh, uh, as a guest uh, on our podcast, one of our recent podcasts as well. Yes, and both of these organizations have been involved in negotiations to try to reach a compromise on this, and that didn't go anywhere. Not at least not yet, and probably not before November. Mm-hmm. A couple of quick kind of housekeeping notes here. Uh, one, um, I will shamelessly promote some of the work we've been doing uh, on the California Dream Project, which is a collaboration between Cal Matters and all your favorite public radio stations around California. Um, a piece that I did, a radio piece on what 500000 gets you around California, which in the Bay Area is half of a burned out home, uh, was on Marketplace recently. So take a listen to that. I have a brief apology. Uh, to our listeners, uh, last time, our last podcast, I referenced um, the housing plans of both uh, gubernatorial candidates, Gavin Newsom and John Cox. And I mistakenly said that uh, John Cox, the businessman Republican running from San Diego, wants to build uh, 3 million homes or the state to build 3 million homes in a year. That, of course, is wrong. It's 3 million homes over a decade. It's 300,000 a year. How dare you, Liam? I know. I know. You know, it's really your fault because you're editing this, and so you should have caught that. You know, there are so many things I have to edit in this podcast, Liam. (laughs) It's tough to catch everything. Um, Another quick housekeeping note. For those that are fans of the great Liam Dillon, happy birthday. Oh, well, thank you. It's very nice. Your gift is coming. It has not arrived yet, Huh? but I think you'll like it. Wow. It's a thought that counts. The thought is already... Counted. I'm I'm overwhelmed, really. You don't look overwhelmed. I'm I'm so I'm at least whelmed. And then, Liam, what did you get me for my birthday? I, you didn't even tell me what your birthday was. Yeah, you don't even know when my birthday is. Because you never you 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 need to publicize this. Um, this is, I think this more than anything else is a fair assessment of our relationship. Well, exactly. I remember the birthday and give you a gift, <laughs> and then you blame me for not telling you when my birthday is. I have nothing else to add to this. Let's. Let's move on to the most popular um, segment in all of California housing radio. Yeah, it's the avocado of the Fortnite. And this one's especially personal for me. So um, Los Angeles Clippers, a, uh, for those who may only think there's one basketball team in L.A., there's actually two. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is called the Clippers. And they... Uh, the first one might be called the Clippers. <laughs> and they currently share an arena with the team that you are all aware of, the L.A. Lakers, um, in the Staples Center in, in downtown L.A. The Clippers, however, are interested in building a new arena in Inglewood, um, somewhat nearby. 
And they, uh, but in doing so, they want a special deal. And they want a deal from the legislature that would help give them some shortcuts on um, complying with the uh, famous or infamous uh, environmental law in California, the Cal- California Environmental Quality Act. CEQA? CEQA. And so yeah. what is what is the avocado-y housing tie to this? Well, um, they want a deal that housing doesn't get, uh, number one. Um, you know, CEQA is blamed often as this thing that holds up um, or makes it hard for all development to get built. And what we've seen over the legislature, and I did a piece on this uh, this last year, uh, mistakenly thinking that all these the, these deals were done, um, that sports arenas and professional sports franchises go back to the legislature year after year after year, going on seven, eight years now, asking for special exemptions or special shortcuts or whatever for under CEQA for their projects. So for instance, um, the uh, Golden State Warriors um, mm-hmm. building a new uh, arena along the waterfront in San Francisco, um, moving from Oakland, uh, they got a a one of these CEQA deals, and and sort of the the, the prime part of that was limiting any lawsuits. Uh, the timeline under, under which CEQA lawsuits could be debated or, or litigated to nine months. Yes, which right? is what the Clippers want, too. Among other things. The Clippers want more than that, but that is one thing the Clippers want. And so, so let me introduce a couple other avocados. So full disclosure here, um, I am a Clippers fan. All the way back, right? Like, like Poo, since I was twelve. Pooh Richardson, he's a guy. Oh yeah, Lloyd yeah. Vaught. Lloyd Vaught. I mean, these are household names. Danny so I don't Manning. Even, yes. Um, wow. Darius wow. Miles, Lamar Odom. Wow. A good Lamar, not Kardashian Lamar. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to be completely unbiased here. Yes. Um, but I want to introduce a couple other avocado-y parts of this. Um, one is. It is not just sports teams that are looking for that nine-month cap on sequel lawsuits. Legislators themselves would enjoy that nine-month cap on sequel lawsuits. And you're looking at me knowingly, Liam. Um, would you care to expand? Sure. So um, there was a – was it this year in the, in the budget? Um, yeah, where, I think it was this year. This year where uh, the $1.2 billion remake of the Capitol Office building – uh, Which is not a nice building. Let's just be no, no. Let's what, just be clear. I think the first thing that strikes people when you walk into the Capitol is that the Capitol, like the old Capitol, the place where you're like, oh, this is pretty and nice and lovely and ancient and historical, etc. Um, there are floors. And then when you go to the office building where the legislature works, the floors don't match. Yeah. And that's just extremely strange. So but that building, <laughs> th- that building, the legislators building is a nightmare. And uh, they want to do a remake of it. And, um, they and got... so they're granting themselves this exemption. Yes. They're granting themselves this shortcut, which affordable housing or market rate development very, very, very rarely gets, correct? Exactly. Indeed. Yes. Um, one other avocado element, and this does not serve the case of the Clippers very well. Rents have gone up in Inglewood considerably. Indeed. Um, I mean, close watchers of the HBO show Insecure would know that there was a, a housing, uh, small housing subplot mm. in the most recent season about how rents were going up and gentrification was occurring in, in Inglewood. In fact, they had a, they, they called it Iwood, which was like hilarious, right? Mm. That was the gentrification-y term I, Inglewood. I have not cut up on my insecure yet. You need to watch this show. Really I know. Good. All yeah. I do is watch The Wire on loop. <laughs> That's, I haven't watched a new show since then. Guess how many units of uh, very low to moderate income housing have been built in Inglewood since 2013? I have no idea. Zero. 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 Not That's according to Curbed. I see. Um, so that is a compelling argument for why should the Clippers enjoy this exemption when we haven't built any affordable housing um, in our neighborhood. I think I have a solution to all of this, though. 
that uh, would okay. I'm, keep, let's hear it. Keep the Clippers in L.A. by um, an act of the legislature. Yeah. Simply dissolve the Lakers. <laughs> Just eliminate them. <laughs> the Clippers get to stay in Staples. Right. No need for any of this sequa stuff. Yeah. No need for any new acts from the legislature except yeah. this one to just eliminate the Lakers whole. And right. I think most people would especially people in the Bay Area for example. Sure. Um would get on board with this cuz nobody likes that team. <laughs> um let me other yeah. I, I don't know if this will make the podcast but let me let me share something. So yeah. I um had coffee along with a couple of the reporters from Cal Matters with Clippers Brass. Uh the Clippers brought out the A-list yeah, no, to I, sell this. Yes. So Doc Rivers, the head coach right. of the Clippers, yeah. uh, pretty big name in in the NBA, right. um, came to the Capitol to sell this. Yeah. Jerry West, yeah. the logo himself, the logo of the NBA, came to the Capitol to sell this arena, as well as Steve Ballmer, who is a celebrity owner, one of the richest men in the world. Right. Um, I did not get to meet any of them. Oh. But I did wear my Clipper socks <laughs> to the Clipper, to this meetings with Clipper Brass. Interesting. And uh, told them who they should draft. So there were actually a couple other dynamics here that are interesting. So you had, um, so you talk about Balmer and Doc Rivers and Jerry West. So photo, I mean, state Senate or state uh, uh, Senate President Pro Tem Tony Atkins of San Diego took a big photo on Twitter with uh, with oh, all, of these, all of these folks and okay. the Republican leader in the uh, Assembly, Brian Dolly photo with all of these folks and so clearly the star power is at the very least uh, got them some photo ops and so who, do, who doesn't want a picture next to Jerry West I mean Laurel I Rosenhall my fellow yeah. reporter yeah. who uh, I was like oh Jerry West is going to be here yeah. and then Laurel was like who's Jerry West Yikes. and I was like well you're probably the right person to cover this issue <laughs> And then I don't mean that ironically. I yeah, mean, yes, yes, she is right. the right person to cover this issue. And then second, there's this weird. So a lot of these other arena deals, there's like some opposition. Um, but here, there's intense. Oh yes, opposition. another avocado part. Yeah, intense opposition uh, from the owners of the, of the forum in Inglewood, who uh, Madison Square Garden Company, uh, which you know also involved with the Knicks, right? So in New York, and so they um, beat back a bill that would have done something similar last year, uh, pretty. Uh, heavily, they spent over seven hundred grand lobbying against against the legislation last year, and I would venture to guess that we would be seeing a similar amount being spent this year. So, um, they, you know, um, are going in full bore, and the reason and the reason uh, they are is this is a business competitive uh, issue by by allowing a new arena in uh, Inglewood could affect certainly would affect um, their bottom line, and so that's an, actually another longstanding criticism of CEQA, yes. is that it's really a tool under which um, business interests gets to f- get to fight each other under the guise of of the environment, helping the environment, and maybe expand it out a little bit, yeah. not just business interests, but labor interests too, right? That's oh, not the case in this, right? Liam, why don't you tell us where exactly this bill stands right now? So it it just advanced uh, this week out of um, another Senate policy committee, uh, and so we'll be getting heading over to Senate appropriations side to the fiscal committee, but then it has to go through the assembly. This is what's known in capital parlance as a gut and amend. Let's switch to our main topic, and specifically our number of the fortnight, um, Liam. $60 million. That seems like a lot of money. It is. <laughs> a uh, lot of money. Why is that? Why is that our number? Well, um, the opponents of the initiative to repeal Costa-Hawkins and uh, expand rent control across the state have said that this is the number that they're prepared to spend to defeat that measure. It's a lot of money. Uh, there was a possibility they might not have to spend that money, but that possibility will take a significant hit as of tomorrow. And, right. and why is that? Right. So l- l- 
let's back up um, some, for some context for this. Yes. So in 2014, uh, we're backing up far. Uh, 2014, uh, the legislature passed a bill that changed the initiative system and said, uh, for the first time, you are allowed to have negotiations after your initiative qualifies or after you've submitted your signatures uh, to get your proposal on the ballot. And so uh, after there was a failure in the legislature in January, this past January, to get a full repeal of Costa-Hawkins through the legislature and failed pretty spectacularly, um, not getting out of its first committee. There was a uh, initiative drive that had already been underway um, to um, uh, do this on at the ballot level, and so the proponents, um, AIDS Healthcare Foundation, uh, Michael Weinstein uh, being the, the primary financial uh, uh, um, backer, uh, uh, you know, put forward the signatures, and so with the signatures being collected, there was a, uh, a effort to try to talk about this and to get this off the ballot potentially, whereas both sides, the tenant group side and the apartment association side, would uh, figure out a way to, to come to the middle, if you will. And that is the reason we are talking about this this fortnight. Yes. Um, because the deadline for them to basically withdraw the initiative from the ballot. Thursday, June 28th. Thursday, June 28th, yes. Um, and as of the recording of this podcast, it looks very, very, very unlikely that that will happen. Yeah, there were, as we'll, we'll, we'll hear from our guests, um, a few weeks of negotiations in the springtime over this, uh, but they sort of fell apart definitively last week. Well, let's let's start by saying why it was in both sure. sides' interest to have a compromise. You know what, actually, yeah. let's even back up farther and yeah. say what the initiative, and let's see how fast we can do it. Talk about what the initiative What does. the initiative would do, yes. Right, okay, so, so, so Costa-Hawkins passed- Should we trade off? I like it when we trade off. All right, so Costa-Hawkins passed in 1995 in the legislature, and what it did was, uh, among many things, uh, I'll start by saying it limited rent control um, regime to uh, uh, buildings that were built prior to 1995 or in cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco that had existing rent control regimes uh, in place already, limited the year of construction of buildings Faster. yeah, to that the year in which uh, they, the, the, the city had already limited it. So in LA and San Francisco, we're talking late 70s. Took too long. Ah. I'm going to take the easy one. Okay. Um, it also banned rent control from being applied to single-family homes. Yes. And that was pretty quick, right? That was, well, you had an easier one. I took and, it. And the third one, um, it limited what's known as vacancy uh, decontrol, which says that um, when a uh, tenant moves out in a rent-controlled building, the landlord can now raise the rent to market rate. Yeah. It's not limited on, on how much they can raise the, that, that rent to for the new tenant and before those- it goes back under rent control again. Exactly. And those are the most important kind of provisions Correct. with Costa-Hawkins. And so there will be an initiative um, on the ballot in the November that says, Costa-Hawkins, goodbye. If you vote right. yes on this, you are repealing Costa-Hawkins and allowing cities and counties to expand rent control should they choose. Right. And importantly, this doesn't immediately say that there's going to be a bunch of new rent control laws, but it allows for cities to be able to have those discussions. And just an important caveat to that is that is... Ninety-nine percent correct. Mm. The uh, hmm? uh, mm. the the <laughs> the one percent sliver to that is if there are regulations or ordinance. I don't know what you call them. If there are laws currently on the books for certain cities that, let's say, did apply rent control to single-family homes yeah. before Costa Hawkins went into effect, and then Costa Hawkins made those provisions null, made them irrelevant. Yes. Those those would, but then, I mean, I'm sure there'd be a legal fight over that. Exactly, but, but yes, those, the, those the, could immediately could immediately come, could immediately into, come effect. into effect. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's get back to um, some of the negotiations that yeah. both you and I had heard about over right. 
you know, the some time period in relatively recent memory that yeah. might have taken this initiative off the ballot. Yeah. Why was there no compromise? Yeah. So let's talk about talk again first about why both sides had reasons to think about a compromise. Sure. I think it's maybe perhaps easier to talk about this on the on the uh, landlord side. Um, you know, Costakins uh, gives them a statewide regime under which they have this sort of certainty to know that they that these are the rules, right? And when that goes away, then all of a sudden there are no rules. And when there are no rules, um, the apartment association of landlords would have to go city by city, county by county, jurisdiction by jurisdiction to fight um, new rent control proposals. And those proposals could be all different um, and create a real system that they would uh, not really be able to, to, for lack of a better term, control anymore. And Uh, and importantly, politically, it is theoretically more difficult to wage the anti-rent control campaign at the city level when people yes. could immediately access rent control, right? Correct. Um, and where there's a lot of tenants, depending on where the city is, or at least yeah. a higher proportion of tenants, depending right. on the city, right. uh, compared to the state as a whole. So this is a this would be a costly and more difficult mm-hmm. um, thing that the apartment association and landlord groups would, would have to do should yeah. this thing pass in the fall. Right. On the tenant side... Um, they too would have to fight uh, city by city for 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 new laws um, if if this if cost dockers were to get away. But I think that's not really the, the 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 main reason. I think a number of things. One, as we mentioned, they're going to be vastly outspent um, on the ballot, and so it's a hard fight to win, uh, no matter what. Particularly when you will be spent two to one, three to one, perhaps even four to one, right? Um, and so that's that's a big deal. They've been fighting and talking about. Um, Costa Hawkins ever since it passed, so more than more than twenty years now. And if they lose, this sets their movement back. Um, I think politically, uh, really strongly. What incentive does the landlords have to negotiate on anything if they just destroyed you or beat you at the at the ballot box um, statewide? And third, I think uh, it's not, I don't know if it's personal personally, but I think there is this element to it. Um, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation's Michael Weinstein uh, has not been successful in in recent years on a number of ballot measures. Um, uh, you know, in Los Angeles and statewide. And so, you know, he's over three uh, over the last three years on major efforts, um, prescription drugs, uh, development in L.A., uh, condoms in in, uh, in pornography films. And so, you know, you know, you don't really want to go for four. And you certainly don't want to go for four after you another spend another $20 million potentially um, on this. And so I think that that was incentive for him to deal as well. But as we mentioned, no compromise was made. What I had heard and what you had heard and what I'm assuming our guests will likely tell us is that right. it never really even got that close. It, it never got to the point of it being serious, even though there was a prominent legislator involved in the negotiations. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I think there were some areas in the apartment station, I think, talked about this more explicitly than the tenants groups did on which they were willing to make a deal or at least talk about or compromise on. The apartment groups said had been pretty open about um, being willing to talk about the date uh, of, of rent control on, on effective construction. They're also open to talk about, uh, you know, rent caps in, in some level, um, also tied to a potential property tax uh, abatement program mm-hmm. to help them. And so they were, you know, they were putting out their things that perhaps a year or two ago or two years ago or five years ago they wouldn't have been talking about. Um, but, you know, I think there are also some pretty strong red lines for them that I think the, the tenant groups were not going to be okay with. with. You mentioned single-family homes. You mentioned vacancy control. And these are sort of, I think, in some ways philosophical items that we're just not going to – they weren't going to move on. And I think on the tenant side, um, I think they feel like given the extent of the housing crisis that we're in and how much tenants are hurting and that people see that, they feel that they have some momentum and wind at their back. Yes. And the, and the polling, although it obviously precedes the avalanche of negative advertising right. that – 
um, that the, the Apartment Association and others are going to pour against this measure yeah. and it hasn't been tied specifically to the initiative. Um, the polling suggests that Californians are amenable to rent control, right? Mm-hmm. The, the latest mm-hmm. polls are like 70 percent of um, either likely voters, registered voters um, are supportive of rent control just in and of itself. Yeah. They the like idea. the concept. The exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they feel like the, they have kind of the wind at their backs. And I think they're right. Yeah. I mean, like, what do you, I think if, if I'm one, in one of these tenants groups, I, I'm feeling pretty good about my chances in November. I am. Yeah. Something that I think caught both of us by surprise was a handful of local measures to put rent control on the ballot in uh, Pasadena, Inglewood, which we right. just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then here in Sacramento, which yeah. to me was this was the most surprising result right. because Sacramento nationally has ranked consistently over the past few years as the city where rents are increasing the most. Exactly. Um, local efforts to put rent control on the on the ballot in all of those cities right. failed to get enough signatures to put them on the ballot, which yeah. surprised me. Yes. And I know surprised you. What do you make of that? And is that a sign that maybe the wind isn't as strong behind uh, the tenant movement. Yeah, I think it's a number of reasons. I mean, it is very hard to collect ballot signatures, and you have to you believe it's, it's actually a professional operation, right? Mm-hmm. You need um, there, signature gatherers. There's certainly a certain kind of profession, uh, prof- profession, uh, but they're good at what they do, which is making sure that there's enough ballot. If you pay them enough, you will get enough valid signatures to make sure that you get 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 your measure on the ballot. Uh, and these sort of uh, unlike, I think, the, the statewide effort, a lot of these efforts are more volunteer driven, and as a result, you're not going to potentially get the kind of quality signatures that you need to ensure that your measure gets in the ballot. And so I think certainly financially um, is is part of this, but also I think it speaks to the limitations of, of um, you know, volunteer grassroots movements in something like this. Um, and, 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 and also in terms of ensuring that whatever energy you may feel about something, it's much harder to mechanically to um, get it, get something on the ballot. So I don't know if I would I strike it to um, – I think it does say two things, that one, you know, good for tenants and one bad for tenants in terms of pr- promoting this forward. I don't sure you think it means that people are not uh, – don't like the idea, mm-hmm. right? So much of this talks speaks to organization and financial resources. But I do think that just liking the idea is not enough exactly. to get a measure qualified or certainly to get that get, get it across the finish line. Um, exactly. And so I think we can take something from this is that, you know, while, um, again, people may like the idea, as you referenced in, in, in polls, it takes a lot more than that to have a successful ballot measure. Yes, that resources and organizations matter. And the resources and organizations matter, and also what counterarguments there are going to be, you know, matter as well. So you buy that? You think the counterarguments set in in all these localities to the to the extent that people were no, no, not no. I'm not talking. The... I I am not talking about in terms of signing the petitions. Yeah, I, I'm talking about as we move forward on this particular yes, initiative. Yes, that makes sense. Yes. Um, finally, the last thing I want to bring up, and I just I've tweeted this a little bit, but I think it merits more discussion. I think the proponents of this initiative made a mistake in not including an exemption for new construction in the initiative itself. Because yeah. as we've seen, the one of the major lines of attack from CAA and others yeah. will be this is going to be a deterrent to new construction in an era where new construction and new supply of housing is vitally important to solving the housing crisis long term. Right. And and exactly. And just back up, we've heard this a lot, but just to want to explain this argument a little bit better, which is that, um, you know, when apartment building or developers build, they don't expect to make all their profit back in year one or whatever. Mm-hmm. They have a long term financial schedule. And when they base whether they're going to stick a shovel in the ground based on what that schedule looks like. And if they can't 
you know, predict what their rents are going to be, or or they can predict that their rents are going to be a lot lower than they were expecting, or uh, even more, have some uncertainty over what those rents are going to be, then they don't, their projects don't work. Their projects don't work. And so yes. that's the argument. Yes, that's yeah. the argument. Yeah. Um, and people do debate the legitimacy of that argument. Yeah. But it's a legitimate argument. It is a legitimate argument. Yeah. And if you had exempt, put some type of exemption for new construction in the initiative itself, right. that takes away a big argument. strong line yeah. of attack right. that CAA could have waged. And yeah. talking to people on the tenant side, yeah. they are, they are, that is a point that they are relatively flexible on, mm-hmm. and and you could you'll probably see it should this thing pass in how local um, local yeah, rent control I, I, regimes play out. I right? would be surprised to see, particularly in bigger cities, uh, there to be exactly. uh, rent control on new construction. I'd be exactly. very surprised to see that in L.A. I'd be surprised to see that even in San Francisco. I'd be surprised to see that maybe some Bay Area suburbs, but ah, uh, not it's not going to be the lion's share of these. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, I think they made a mistake. I think they should have put it in. I think they made a mistake. Well, they should hire you as the campaign consultant I next did, time. Didn't need me. I'm sure there were very smart people in the room who were talking <laughs> about this. But um, that's what I keep thinking about that Yeah. as the No Housing Freeze uh, Twitter account uh, mm-hmm. keeps retweeting our podcast. Which, you know, we'll take listeners. Um, I'll take it. All right. Uh, so let's now move on to our guests um, who have a lot to say about rent control. <laughs> We're here with Deborah Carlton, the Senior Vice President of Public Affairs for the California Apartment Association. Deborah, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So uh, I'm curious. Um, this discussion has been happening for a very long time, um, and you were you were around during the first Costa Hawkins. I debate. was around. Yes, I'm so, dating myself, but I was around. <laughs> yes. So tell tell us what that was like in the '90s. Well. We had um, obviously some intense discussions back in the 90s because rent control in some of the cities were what we would say a very strict form of rent control, right? So there were cities that uh, imposed rent control on single-family homes like Berkeley. Uh, There was vacancy control, meaning owners couldn't raise their rents uh, after a tenant had moved out. And even when they had imposed that rent control, they had backed the rents up a year, for example. So these owners were, you would argue, were behind Um, We found through a lot of studies that we had done and were able to convince the legislature that it wasn't helping uh, with the construction of housing in those cities. And in fact, remember, owners still have the ability to decide who lives in their units. So a lot of the uh, lower income uh, tenants had been moved out of the city because the choices were being made, right? So you're going to choose the guy who can change out those carpets for you or what have you. Um, so the it, it had a very negative effect on either lower income, uh, single mothers, et cetera, and then on the actual construction of housing. What, what has changed the most in terms of the debate around rent control from then till now? You know, I think the debate has potentially changed in that Costa Hawkins is the place to place all the blame on rising housing prices. I would say the housing prices have risen because of supply and demand. We always say that, right? It's taken us 50 years to get into this situation of lack of construction, not keeping pace with the amount of jobs we've created. Um, so yeah, we're not going to build ourselves out of this overnight, but 
we don't want rent control to be the easy short-term answer. And then everybody uses that as a way to say, no, we've solved our housing problems because mm-hmm. we still need to find a ways to balance our jobs and our housing. So you're here today. <laughs> you, you, you're spending some time with us today, with you. <laughs> um, which means that you're not off trying to negotiate some type of compromise um, on rent control uh, because the deadline for basically getting the initiative off the ballot is tomorrow. Tomorrow, you're right. So why don't we have a compromise? We tried. Let's put it that way. We tried. We spent about three weeks uh, back and forth, and we were just so far apart. Um, so sorry, three weeks in May and Yeah, April. May up through, okay, so yeah. spring, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. We were just so far apart. The, the bottom line for us is vacancy decontrol, meaning once a tenant moves out, allowing the landlord to increase the rents uh, to the market yeah. is very important to our owners, especially for uh, owners who have had tenants living there for a very long time. They want the ability to raise it to market, and that's what's encouraged, we think, under Costa-Hawkins. Construction has continued. So Costa-Hawkins, we say, is had been helpful to making sure we didn't stop construction. Construction is pretty low now, though. It is very low. But can you imagine how low it would be if we had strict forms of rent control is what we will argue, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the things that you felt like you were willing to perhaps um, move on um, from the strict, strict, strict rules that are there under Costa Hawkins. You mentioned when there was a hearing on the legislation that was available uh, in this area back in I believe it was January, uh, changing the date um, mm-hmm. on, on which um, construction or which rent control could could apply to buildings. Can you talk a little bit about why that was something that you were willing to? Well, you know, the proponents yeah. have said that they wanted to move the date, yeah. right? And so we've said, look, if we're going to move the date, we need some factors that will help, number one, make sure that we're going to encourage, still encourage development, not freak people out. Um, and we need, we would really like to see some sort of means test, means test meaning uh, are we going to impose and give you know million dollar people uh, or the people driving the Mercedes rent control Um, really I mean that's been our big concern if it's about helping those people who cannot afford the rent and we want to make sure they're not uh, moved out or can't pay the rent then let's give them a more stringent form of rent control and give something different whether it's a higher you know, rent so, control on the Mercedes driving people. <laughs> gotcha. Um, d- so did you guys figure out a way to actually implement that? Because that's always, as you know, the right. the the conversation around this is like means testing makes sense. I think even those on the tenant side, many Certainly. would agree. Yeah. Um, but there's it's really, really hard to do in practice. Like, how are you actually going it to do it? It makes more sense for people in place at this moment. So if we were going to, in other words, move the date tomorrow yeah. and there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in place that this would apply to, you would say to uh, Matt and Liam. I do not drive a Mercedes. Okay. (laughs) Could, you know, show me your, I don't know, your W2. It's an 07 Camry. Oh, good. Well, maybe you would get a stricter form of rent control, right? Or the benefits. (laughs) Woo. So... But, the you know, the, I have yeah, an O2 yeah. Civic, so I, I yeah, do better yeah. for me. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, there are, there are ways that you prove it when you get uh, either food stamps or you get a Section sure. 8 yeah. voucher. Yeah. Those yeah. folks have to prove that yeah. they are low income. There mm-hmm. are ways to prove it. Yeah. So that, um, you know, those people would get a maybe a CPI only increase and the others would get something higher. Mm-hmm. For example, sure. you know, we saw, I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at the Turner report. Um, you know, they gave some we different did. ideas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, before the ink was dry on that, yeah. the proponents poo-pooed it, right? Yeah. So, 
but you liked it. Well, we liked the the foundation from which it came. There's a lot of things in there that we would say, do we really need to apply it to the entire state? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there are things in there, I think, that gave us uh, some good conversation that we could have introduced into the So let's let's back up so that people know what we're talking about. Yeah, sure. Turner Center is uh, that sort of the housing think tank or housing sort of... uh, Center, Research, UC, Center. Research Center, UC yeah, Berkeley, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they put out a report uh, about a month ago that um, raised a number of ideas to try to reach a sort of compromise deal on on rent control issues. Two of the major uh, ideas they put forward, one was uh, a rent cap of uh, CPI or inflation plus 5% uh, annually. They looked at, talked about it as an anti-rent gouging uh, measure. And secondly, they talked about um, having property tax rebates for um Apartment owners who voluntarily um, dedicated their their um, units to to low income residents. So when we you and I talked about uh, this and I wrote about it, um, those are the two things that you said that you guys would support. Well, I didn't use the word support because, of but, course, you know you got to be careful as a lobbyist, right? You got to go yeah. back to your members. You got to have sure. all these conversations. Yeah, yeah. But what we heard from some of our fa- our, our members was those were. Uh, policies that had worked in other areas. So, mm-hmm. for example, that tax rebate is working in Washington. You were willing to, to talk about the date. You were willing to talk about sort of high-level price caps. You were willing to talk about property tax rebates or, or all these sorts of things to incentivize, you know, use low-income construction or, or, or turning units into low-income mm-hmm. units. But I never heard anything from you folks saying vacancy control was like a – it seemed like a red line, I guess, when I was – Vacancy this. control, yeah. uh, decontrol is a – is I would say as of today, it's a red line. I don't know what the trade-off would be to make sure that folks, meaning owners who had tenants in their buildings for 20 years and maybe hadn't been able to increase because there were some, like San Francisco has 60% of CPI annual increases. So it's very low. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do for those people who have historically low rents coming out of that, you know, um, how do you fix that? And I think what's fascinating is you just can't do this broad brush with housing in California. You got some of these old timers that have had their housing forever. They've never raised their rents and they either pass on or someone inherits it and they're going, oh my gosh, I can't pay the mortgage or I have to refinance. I got to put a new roof on. What do you do with those if you have to go to the rent board and ask for every single type of increase? Sometimes those are not granted. Mm. So you don't want to discourage owners from putting on a new roof or from doing things that make sure that the housing uh, doesn't become, you know, uh, out of the market or falling apart. That's a big concern. Um, But I think it's important to clarify whether we're talking about strict vacancy decontrol or whether there is, I mean, you could do stuff with vacancy decontrol where there is a allowable increase once the tenant leaves the apartment, right? But the landlord doesn't have the right to charge whatever they want right is that something where you're you're drawing a red line there like we absolutely we want the landlord to be able to go to market rate after a tenant leaves that has been our red line so far that has been our red line Mm -hmm. and and again because it's so hard to paint a consistent brush you know we're working on uh changing the uh law with uh, Assemblymember Wood, who has a bill that would change the anti-gouging right. law, right? right. Um, and because it's so hard to determine in every single situation, what was the rent for this owner? If you're capping it and they can't come up to market, 
you know, what what does that mean for some of these owners who have had historically low rents? So we're trying to fix that also in the anti-gouging situation. Hmm. Should a landlord have the right to raise the rent to whatever they want it to be? Should they? Yeah. Of course. I'm in the apartment association. Yes. So you don't think there's any limit that should be imposed on... Uh, when the when if the market is working correctly and we have a, a supply balance, that controls what happens. Mm-hmm. I think unfortunately in some cities we don't have that correct balance. Cities have encouraged. San Francisco gave tax breaks to bring in new businesses, and you saw this big boom that Google buses right. driving right. around. Right? Yeah. They forgot to supply the housing. Um, all right. Yeah. Let's move on to. <laughs> yeah. So how how are you going to convince voters to vote against this measure? What's the plan? Well, I'm going to come on to your podcast, you know, this weekly, a, and we're going to talk a, about it. This is a very popular podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is yes. very popular, yes. right? Um, you know, I think certainly people that are in place right now, that's why the, the proponents will argue it was so easy for them to collect signatures because it affects them right now. Yeah. Um, people in place. Um, but there's a whole lot of people that, um, you know, either own rental housing, uh, employers who have employees who would like to live closer to their jobs and are fearful, I think, that this is going to slow construction. So people are listening, and we've done, I think, a lot of work of listening to what people find compelling. So our uh, staff that's focused just on that and just on the messaging, of course, maybe should bring them on a future podcast, and they'll talk to you about that. (laughs) But I think what is compelling, at least people have told us, is that uh, reducing the housing stock is something that matters. They have kids in college. And my kids are not going to be able to find a place. You know, they can't live close to their job if they go to San Francisco. It's just not going to happen. Right. So um, those have been some things that people seem to understand. So do they? So here's the thing I'm yeah. I'm curious about because we hear this. I hear this all the time. I'm sure you do, and I'm sure you do too. You know, these people see what's directly in front of them, right? Right. And there are a lot of academic cases for why increased supply is good overall for the market. But when people live in an area or work in an area where they see the only housing going up is housing for wealthy folks um, mm-hmm. or, you know, lug, quote, luxury. luxury condo argument, right? Um you know, do they do they do they see the? I mean, do they do they not? Do, I mean, does that argument hold resonance when people say, "Well, they're only building for rich people, and you know, tenants are the ones," and I see my rent going up a million percent every year? Um, how does that supply argument work in that context? Well, it, I, I think it's certainly, um, as you point out, the people who see the the cranes and the you know in right. San Francisco think there's enough housing. Right. What's, what what are you talking about? You're right. crazy, right? Yeah. But um, that's just not the only part of the state, right? We have, we're talking to the entire state because yeah. everyone's going to be voting on this, not just San Francisco tenants and not just Santa Monica tenants and Berkeley tenants. So that's I think uh, compelling uh, to many people, and it's it's fascinating. I don't know if you have talked to the generation ahead of you who went to school in Berkeley and they said the housing was bad, you know, then landlords did nothing. So this whole concept of blight and, uh, you know, the fact that landlords either didn't have the money to do anything mm-hmm. or just didn't do anything, yeah. that was a big concern back then, you know. So It still is, right? Yeah, it still is. So so speaking of kind of the generational difference, does that concern you at all? Because like an increasing proportion of the electorate compared to, let's say, the 90s when Casa Hawkins was passed, are renters now. There's way more renters yep. than the electorate, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a good thing for you guys. Um, and there are younger people who don't remember Santa Monica in the 70s, right? right. Who right. don't remember Berkeley. 
um, and you put rent control in front of them. Mm-hmm. How how concerning is that for you? Well, we, it, you raise a good point. Um, we do have about a 43 to 45% renter base in California. Mm-hmm. Will they all vote? We'll see come <laughs> November, right? We got do you our, want them to vote? Well, I, you know, it's a democratic society. That's very, that's very important, right? That's very important. But we also have a huge baby boomer population still around, still remembers. It's, yep. it's, and a lot of them um, have invested. They know that the stock market's not the only place. But we also want to make uh, clear that we can't just rely on rent control to solve our issues because it will help those in place. I agree with you. It will help them in place at this moment, but it's not going to solve the problem. And we've had a growing, not in my backyard, the NIMBY, you know, people that come to uh, City Hall and hate everything that gets proposed. Right. Isn't that isn't that some that, of the that, same part of the electorate that you're going to court? Them? Well, right. yeah, those are the loud ones, right? You got the loud <laughs> you want ones. The, quieter show, one. <laughs> the loud ones are always showing up at City Hall right. to make, you know, not yeah. my backyard and I don't want anything, right? right. Nothing. So uh, the proponent of this is a uh, chief proponent and chief financier is uh, Michael Weinstein of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation in Los Angeles. Um, I think well known in some circles in healthcare circles and in, and in um, some housing circles and particularly in LA and San Francisco, but it's not like this guy is like a household name around the state. And so I'm curious, um, and I've seen some of the, you know, social media advertisements and things, you folks are calling this the the Weinstein housing freeze. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering why you're doing that. Well, that certainly works for a certain segment, as you point out. Um, uh, Mr. Weinstein, as you know, was also the proponent of stopping housing construction in Los Angeles a couple years ago. That failed miserably. And what's fascinating is if rent control is also about slowing housing, is there a a corollary here? Is he really about slowing our housing if that's what he's been about in the past? Um, Making sure that we have no new construction, stop construction for two years. We argue that's what this is going to do. So that's why we see this as a housing freeze, tying his name to it also makes clear he's done that in the past. So let me throw something wild. Here we go. Here we go. I'm, I'm waiting for this. Yeah. I'm throwing wild at you about this. It's a right? softball. Yeah. So, so, okay. So there's another person with the last name Weinstein mm-hmm. who's been in the news a lot for unsavory Who? reasons. What? I'm over, not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're talking about. For the last year or so. Yeah. And I... I'm just curious um, whether there's an effort to perhaps uh, tar or connect um, the name Weinstein, which is, I'm sure, if if there was negative popularity for someone, that would be him. That's fascinating. You know, Uh, I will be honest with you. I've never really thought of it in that way, probably because I'm so close to the issue and okay. I and I know Michael Weinstein. Yeah. Um but that's fascinating. I'll have to ask the the the, the campaign folks if that was part <laughs> of the deal. You know? But yeah. No, honestly, I, I I I don't believe that that was the issue and I think that because we knew uh, that he had attempted to stop construction in Los Angeles that was really why we tied housing freeze to the name. There's a lot of voters in LA too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um so you just mentioned this. A lot of the argument against this initiative is this is going to be a deterrent against new construction. And you cited some numbers mm-hmm. earlier on that. I'm wondering um, if there is an exemption to new construction, um, what would be the ideal exemption for <laughs> to new construction that you guys would be like, okay, this is not going to be a deterrent? You think about people who carry mortgages or people who have gotten financing, right? So there's usually a 30-year yeah. uh, window there. 30 years? 
Yeah, you carry a mortgage for 30 years. Well, no, no, I understand yeah. that. <laughs> you but... own a house? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Saying... Yeah. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Sorry yeah, to but, that, but that's, I mean, that's what you're talking about. 20 to 30 years or 15 to 30 years is where you have those mortgages typically on uh, housing, right? So, you know, we would certainly have to be talking about something like that if there is that conversation. You're looking oh. concerned. Well, I mean, <laughs> 1995 was, was. Uh, 23 years ago, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's all about making sure that that the development will pencil. So you've got to speculate, right? You know, and make sure that you know what's going to happen in year five, ten, fifteen, or twenty. Especially if you're going to sell that down the line, right? Because selling also then changes your tax base. Um, and if somebody's going to finance again, it flips. Yeah. For another mm-hmm. thirty years, mm-hmm. so you have to be able to calculate what are we talking about here. So two thousand five, that would not. That I know would. that's what proponents were offering, you know, or I should say had talked about in the past. Is that what, you know, would be settled on? I don't know in the end huh. because we never got there. Okay. <laughs> so how much is, uh, is it going to um, cost to convince the public of your point of view? You know, uh, Mr. Weinstein is the one who's going to set that gauge, right? So he's the mm. deep pocket on the proponent side. Um, and so you usually, uh, you know, a one to three or one to two ratio if you're going to have to fight something. Yeah. So, and, and if you just look at history, um, so he's the one who's who's indicated that you know he's going to spend twenty to thirty thousand on this million. Million. Thank yes. you. Yes. Twenty to thirty thousand. <laughs> Put the M word there. Right. Yes. Twenty to thirty yeah. million. Yeah. So yes. Um, and so our folks are going to have to be able to match that and and go above that if they're going to have to convince the the public yeah. what's wrong with this measure. So you told me some time ago 60 million on your side is that still the number that can If you look at history that's usually yeah. how that works. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. a lot of money. It's, it's a, lot, a of money. lot of money. It's painful. Yeah. Painful. Yeah. <laughs> painful money. Mhm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um let me ask this. You folks have a tremendous amount to lose, not and so do they. So do the tenants. Everybody side. does. But you yes. have a tremendous amount to lose here. I am sure that you do not want to go into every city in the state and um, fight individual battles over rent control, right? So, given that, and we've talked about we've talked about um, some of the the areas that you're willing to 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 negotiate on, but how come, given that both sides had a had a, a whole lot to lose here, was there not um, any sort of compromise, if not just this year, then in, in years prior? You know, I don't know that I could necessarily um, s- speak to, obviously, the proponents and why they couldn't meet us halfway. Maybe their halfway, obviously, was not our halfway. Right. But, um, you know, I guess everybody uh, either thinks they can win or uh, thinks that it's too much to give up, it's certainly on our side, too much to give up. Because you're right. After, let's say this were to pass... The proponents are correct. It doesn't automatically take place. Then you go city by city, and we're, then we're going to have to continue to spend more money to fight in every city, right? So it's not over, um, and we have to then continue continue to convince the voters and or the electeds in each city uh, not to pass something extreme. And is that is that a tougher fight for you because it's so real at the local level? Exactly, it's very real. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very real. So yeah, it's not over. Even if you win or lose at the ballot, you know, then you still continue at the local level as well. All right. Great. Well, thank, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much, yeah. Deborah. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
Uh, we are here with Amy Shore, uh, statewide campaign director for Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, uh, more easily known as ACE. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast, Amy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, so this week was the deadline basically for your initiative to be withdrawn from the ballot should you have reached a compromise with some of the uh, opponents of the ballot initiative. Why don't we have a compromise? Well, look, I guess, first of all, to be clear, um, this is about repealing a bad state law that has just put barriers in the way of local communities deciding how to deal with this housing crisis. We need to return powers to our cities, counties, to address rent gouging as they and the voters see fit, decide makes sense in their local community. Having said that, um, you know, these ballot measures are ridiculously expensive. Big corporate interests put in tens of millions of dollars that really should be going to housing the homeless and people <laughs> who need help. Um, and there's so many issues to work on. So we attempted to negotiate in good faith with the other side. It seems like sort of big corporate landlords, um, you know, don't aren't willing to consider any kind of regulation when it comes to the rental housing market. And that's just a problem. Were there, we're seeing its impact every day. Sorry. Uh, were, were there particular points of contention where you guys were so far apart that it became evident this is, this is not going to happen? Well, to be honest, it was very hard to get the opposition. This is the California Apartment Association. Some of the biggest corporate landlords in the state were at the table. It was hard to get them to say what they would um, compromise around. Uh, very hard. Um, so it was sort of like pulling teeth, seriously. Um, but I will say this. There are three areas of Costa-Hawkins. One is around... Um, we actually just had a contest of who could go through the provisions of Costa Hawkins the, the quickest, <laughs> me or Liam. I won. But he says he won because because I had to be stuck with the year thing. And vacancy changes. decontrol. Yeah, and vacancy decontrol. So anyway. So, far harder to explain than others. This yes. So, so, yeah. we, so all I'm saying is we, we did cover some of these provisions. So you can just kind of – you can skip ahead to um, well, what you I'll guys thought about. Well, when it comes to <laughs> – Sorry, on this issue of um, whether there was any basis for compromise, I can right. speak on our side, which is that on this issue of the year of construction, we're very flexible. We think it should be a rolling date because mm -hmm. the idea is you're exempting new construction. So when it becomes older, it stands to reason it should be captured um, by some reasonable rent regulations. So we want it to be a rolling date, um, but we were very flexible on what that date is. Um, before which we can cover those properties with rent control. And it's similar on each of the areas of Costa-Hawkins, honestly, which is that we need some real relief that can help some of the 17 million renters in the state, but we don't have to get it all done this year. We'd like to, but we don't have to. So when you're mm -hmm. talking about single-family homes, single-family rentals, yeah. I don't know if you guys have, I'm sure you've followed um, how Wall Street Entities like Blackstone, which is a private equity firm, bought up tens of thousands of single-family homes in California and turned them into rentals. There's now 2.2 million households 
that are renters that are in single-family homes. Most of those aren't owned by mom and pops. We want to capture the big corporate landlords and make sure they can't rent gouge so that people can stay in their homes. But there's a lot of basis to compromise because, you know, some of the smallest mom and pop landlords, you know, maybe we can do something with that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so it sounds like maybe some of what you were willing to give on was who was actually owning the home that could be under rent control. That's right. You know, again, we think this is best left to local jurisdictions to decide what kind of rent control or rent regulation makes sense. Um, And so we want the full repeal of Costa-Hawkins not to institute some kind of extreme rent control like the other side says. We want the full repeal of Costa-Hawkins so that our local cities and counties, which are on the front lines of dealing with this displacement crisis, of dealing with the homeless crisis, has have all the tools to decide how to address this severe housing crisis we're all aware of. Mm-hmm. So, so when we, when I remember my reporting and talking to the Apartment Association and others, it sounded like, and, and even in some of the public hearings, there was some willingness uh, on their side, and I'm sure that you certainly didn't agree on the exact date, <laughs> uh, but it sounded like there was some willingness for them to give on the date issue. Um, they also expressed uh, uh, to me that they were willing to talk about some potentially uh, uh, rent caps at probably levels that were higher than, than again, what you would have liked, uh, and some, you know, property tax uh, abatement and other sorts of things that, that, that they felt would have been good. So it sounds like there were some areas that were not, I guess, red line issues, but there are others, um, this perhaps a single-family home issue and the vacancy decontrol issue, that, that were for them. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering whether that's that assessment is your take as well, or whether there are other sort of issues that you think were, were harder to find common ground on uh, than others? Well, I think that's a fair assessment in terms of what the California Apartment Association, CAA, is saying publicly. Yeah. But honestly, they didn't firmly commit. We tried to get them to commit around the state issue to exempt new construction, mm. and we never heard from them what date worked for them. At mm. least I don't recall that we did. Yeah. Again, it was like pulling teeth. And I think part of the problem, look, I don't even know if the problem is with CAA. Yeah. They ha- this industry is big and complex. We're talking about developers. We're talking about the largest landlords. We're talking about realtors. So actually, we're talking about multiple industries. Yeah. And they all seem to want to fight tooth and nail to stop any regulation. There's some moderate, more moderate forces within the industry that I think recognize that there is a rent gouging problem. Um, I think they're willing to accept some modest regulation, which is what we want. Um, But there are other more rabid forces in the industry. And I'm not sure CAA was able to sort of herd the cats and get everybody on board with a reasonable compromise. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it became radio silence on their end. We were still mm-hmm. talking. Yeah. Well, to ourselves. We were still willing to talk. <laughs> um, so one thing I've been weirdly harping on is why the initiative itself does not have an exemption for new construction, where you guys could have put in any date yeah. that you guys wanted to. And that seems like it would have taken a lot of the ammo at least right. rhetorically, um, from what uh, the Apartment Association and others are going to launch and have ho- already begun launching against right. the initiative. So why, why wasn't that in there? That's a good point. Um, you know, I think we wanted to err on the side of simplicity. It's mm. just 
straight-up repeal of state interference on what local cities can do on this issue. Um, It's simple, it's clean, it's getting rid of an existing state law, not sort of parsing it. But I can totally see your argument. I will point this out, though, and this is very important. Um, So pre-Costa-Hawkins, meaning pre-1995, cities and counties throughout California were free to do whatever they wanted on this issue of rent regulation, and some number of cities passed rent control laws. Not a single one, to my knowledge, covered new construction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of a boogeyman being raised by the opposition, um, because I don't know of a single rent control law in the country that covers new construction. Mm. This is not about that. Mm. And then when you put aside that issue and you look at other arguments they might try to make on this issue of new construction and development, impeding development, my goodness. Look at Oakland, look at Los Angeles, look at San Francisco. All of them have some form of rent regulation, rent control, and development is booming. Do you want to? Okay, so we, we, and believe me, we pushed on uh, the apartment issue on this too when they (laughs) talked about look at the decreases in 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 construction after after rent control was was put in in all of these areas, right? But I think certainly, and I would hope you would agree that there are a lot of different factors that go into whether um, certainly rent control could be one of them, uh, but certainly a lot of factors that go into whether uh, there is development or not in a particular jurisdiction. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm not saying I'm not attributing it to the fact that they do have rent control. Right. I'm more making the point that it hasn't been a barrier. Why do we want rent control? We want rent control to keep people in their homes now. But here's a really interesting fact. Right now, too often, what we have is as people want to move back into the city, these tend to be people with more money, more resources, fled cities decades ago. Now they want to move back in. Um, What's happening now is the landlord industry is pushing out, raising rents and evicting and pushing out current residents in order to make way for this new population that is wealthier and whiter. Um, Why not do it this way? Let's institute some reasonable regulations that help keep people in their homes now, help prevent mass displacement of hardworking families who have lived in these communities for decades. If we keep them in their homes... What are developers going to need to do to meet the market demand of these folks trying to move back into the city? They're going to need to build more housing. We actually, my organization supports building more housing. We think we desperately need more housing in the state of California. It is a false argument to say it's either or. Mm. Now, I will say we want to make sure there's enough housing built for poor and working class folks. Um, we can't just have housing built for people who are making over 100000 a year. But we need to build more housing, absolutely. So um, both sides of this, I think, have a tremendous amount to, to lose here. Um, you know, certainly uh, the Apartment Association is not going to want to go city by city to have a, a fight over, mm-hmm. over rent control. Um, and so that's certainly why they're going to be uh, – putting in the, the, the tens of billions of dollars, 60 million or potentially more to, to fight this. Mm-hmm. But you folks too, I mean, you know, this is a time when soaring rents and in a lot of ways the political environment is as good uh, for a ballot measure like this as any. Um, mm-hmm. But if you lose, that certainly seems like a pretty giant 
setback uh, to to the movement um, to fighting something that you have hated since it first came on board, right? Um, and in certain, and also emboldens the landlord groups to say no deal on anything. And so, can you talk about what what the stakes are for your side on this? Sure. Um, there, the stakes are really high because every day, every month, every year, more people are losing their homes. Um, Some are ending up on the streets or living with relatives. Some are pushed out to far-flung areas where they have trouble getting back to their work, their family, their community. Um, So the stakes are incredibly high. An interesting thing I will – I keep saying an interesting thing. It's all fascinating to me. It's all urgent to me. Here's the thing is our – I'm a membership, ACE is a membership-based organization. Um, our members are low and moderate income. We're kind of like a union in the community on, on community issues. When we talked with our members about taking this to the ballot and, you know, made sure people were looking at it, you know, clearly that we could lose, I, it was interesting to hear what our members said. They said, you know what, in a lot of ways we don't have anything to lose. It's so bad now, we have to try We've got to go for it. Um, So that's one thing. Now, I mean, they're going to outspend us. They're going to outspend us maybe three or four to one, five to one. I don't know. They've got huge corporate interests backing them. Absolutely. But we've got the people. You know, we've now done several statewide polls where over 70% of likely voters support rent control. That's astonishing. I mean, that's majority homeowners. Um support rent control because everybody's experiencing this, whether, like, I, like I'm saying, whether it's their family members have moved back in with them um, or what have you. So the key is voters are going to need to listen to the messengers and decide who to believe. Are you going to believe that the landlords have the best interests of the 17 million people in the state who rent? Or are you going to listen to the community groups and unions? And I feel confident they're going to re- listen to the folks that um, are in their community fighting for the rights of poor and working families day in, day out. Uh, so so oh. let me let me push a little on the, the people power argument. Um, you know, we, we just Ooh, saw— Good segue, Liam. Yeah, I know where you're going. Yeah, we just saw um, local hmm. measures in Sacramento, in Inglewood, in Pasadena um, to try to get rent control um, under the existing rules uh, on the on the ballot uh, in November. All of those measures did not qualify, um, and and those measures did not have the, some of the financial resources that that your measure um, does mm-hmm. now. But I know that your group was behind um, many, if not all of those um, all of those efforts. So does that, that does that not show the limits of uh, volunteer grassroots, whatever you want to call it? Um, sort of uh, organizing or, or, or campaigns on these issues? No, we actually weren't um, a driver of any of those. We were trying to be supportive, but each and every one of those is led by local, pretty grassroots tenants organizations, mm-hmm. some bigger than others. Mm-hmm. A number of them have zero staff. Right. Um, so it actually simply is that the tenants' right mo- tenants' rights movement is still growing up and developing sophistication. Um, but where we've had um, strong institutionalized community organizations and unions with resources, we've won. ACE yeah. and SEIU led the successful rent control and just cause ballot measure in Richmond in 2016. Mm-hmm. 
Also, look at San Francisco um, a couple months ago. No, in the June primary. This month, um, they just won right to counsel. Right, right. Right now, if you're facing eviction and you go to court, you're up against the landlord's lawyer, and you have no lawyer. They just won that tenants facing evictions have right to counsel. Um, and again, that was backed by um, some strong community groups and unions. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, the tenants' rights groups that are emerging have a huge amount to bring to this fight, um, but they can also, you know, benefit from working with some of the groups that have developed pretty sophisticated and disciplined um, voter engagement programs as well as sophisticated campaign programs. So um, here's a question. So um, the chief financial uh, sponsor of your measure is uh, Michael Weinstein of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, who is, a, mm-hmm. as you I'm sure are aware, is a bit of a controversial and polarizing uh, reputation in political circles in Los Angeles and, and around the state. And, and, and I, I was surprised to see his name being used um, in, uh, I guess, at least in social media ads um, against this measure. They're calling it the, the Weinstein housing mm-hmm. freeze, right? And I'm just I'm curious what you what you make of that. Well, I think a few things. One, I think they're grasping at straws because I'll tell you this: none of my members, none of the voters I talk to in the state, have ever heard of Michael Weinstein. <laughs> I had never heard of Michael Weinstein until a year ago. But I'll tell you what I've learned: he's willing to take bold stands and push for things that benefit communities, um, and he's stepped up to help put this on the ballot. Um, where no one else had previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thank him for that. This campaign is not about him. This campaign is not about his nonprofit that he runs. This campaign is about the 17 million renters in the state that need relief because the rent is too damn high. Out of curiosity, did your organization support uh, his Measure S in, in L.A., which would have um, uh, set pretty significant limits on um, uh, upzoning and things like that? Yeah, uh, we did not. Um, But it was actually a hard decision for us because one way to look at that was that almost all the development that's going up is market rate and luxury, and most of our communities can't afford those units. So let's put brakes on that until a city makes a plan to use some of the precious land that's left to build housing that's actually affordable for working families. So we don't think it was an easy call. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, w- without his financial support, could you mount this campaign? Um, I mean, I might have answered that one way six months ago in a different way now. Um, at this point, it's on. It's happening. <laughs> we're in it. People <laughs> are fired up all across the state, and we're taking it to November, and we're going to win. Um uh, with or without big financial backing. But thankfully, we've got big financial backing and more is coming in. We're going to have tens of millions of dollars to compete. We will still be outspent because we don't have big corporate interest backing us. But we're going to compete. We're going to get TV ads up. We're going to have Facebook ads. Um, and people are going to recognize that um, the landlord industry is spreading lies. Um, where is that additional money coming from? Um, I will just say that we have other supporters who recognize how incredibly important this is to working families who are going to be contributing. I'm not going to give out their names on this show. Uh, 
Gotcha. Mm. I have to make sure they're comfortable. We're, we're here, we're here, we're here, to, comfortable. We're here to break news, Amy, so we're a little disappointed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I think, yeah, is I there think any, that's it. Anything else that you want to add or emphasize or make sure that us or our listeners know? I like to close every talk with the rent is too damn high. Vote November 6th to repeal the cost of Hawkins. But that's it. Thank you guys for <laughs> taking the time to let your listeners know more about this issue. Sounds good. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis podcast uh, presented by Cal Matters. I'm Matt Levin. You can find me on Twitter at mlevinreports. Yeah, Liam Dillon. That's me. Uh, and my Twitter handle is at Dylan Liam. And uh, we do want to say we realize we've been um, recording and posting a little more infrequently than, than we have been in the past. It's been about three weeks since our last episode. Um, both Liam and I are in separate reporting projects that have been pretty intensive. Uh, we do plan on resuming a every other week schedule. Yes, um, at some point. At some point. But yeah. it might be, you know. A few weeks in mid-July. Exactly. Hear from us again. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but keep following us on Twitter in the meantime. And uh, rate us on iTunes. That's also good. Yes. And thanks for listening. And thank you. And uh, please suggest Avocado of the Fortnights to us. Good idea. Uh, we sometimes struggle to find them. So if something pops up that you think fits, it send was, them. It's the tariffs. That's why we're struggling. The tariffs on avocados? Uh, I was making a joke that apparently wasn't good. So. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, that went over my head. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not good. Um, all right. Uh, thank you again.